Good morning and welcome to the Auto Retail Network, the latest in our series of COVID-19 uh, advice from our panel of experts. I'm delighted that uh, you're able to join us. Thank you for your time. The usual uh, way of communicating applies. If you have a question, simply type it into the dialogue box on your screen and it will come through to our editor, Tristan, uh, who will get them through to us here uh, on the webinar. Today's focus is very much about distance selling and online, the new normal. Uh, we've heard the announcement that by the 1st of June, showrooms may well be uh, open and able to deliver on click and collect. But this leads to some new thoughts some new regulations and some new implications. Uh, and so on our panel of guests today, uh, we will be hearing about from a legal perspective, Ian Larkins from Radius Law, uh, looking at the legal implication. Peter Vardy uh, returns to us with uh, Auto Retail Live uh, to bring the perspective from the retailer. Uh, Carl Werner from Motonovo Finance uh, will be explaining the financial implications. And uh, it's a welcome return to Sandra Martins from Radius Law, who has been with us uh, throughout the uh, COVID-19 situation, updating on the latest legislation. But let's turn, first of all, to Ian, uh, Ian Larkins from Radius Law. Uh, Ian, the world changed uh, some time ago uh, with distance, relic, distance um, selling regulations. Now we have click and collect from the 1st of June. Can you kind of simply explain the difference between distance selling online and click and collect? Um, yes, I, I can I can have a go. Um, uh, first, I, I thought I'd just start out with a, a slightly provocative statement, perhaps. Um, uh, and that's to say that uh, in our experience, most dealers currently offer uh, a one-year no quibble money back guarantee for their sales but they i'm sure they're doing that often inadvertently um and 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 i say that because um perhaps as a lawyer and a bit of an anorak i, I do tend to look at terms and conditions uh, and I often see that uh, in fact in every case uh, i've seen that the terms and conditions don't deal with distant sales or off-premises sales and i'll come back to it playing those in a moment um and where you don't, and where you are doing a sale at a distance or off-premises, so that, that typically means if it's a sale that's either done online or over the telephone, uh, or it's done off-premises, so, so somewhere other than the trading premises, um, then those customers, uh, and, and let's face it, those types of sales have been going on for, for many years, um, perhaps to telephone orders and, and such like, uh, then those customers have 14 days right to uh, get their money back, whether that's and that's that's both sales of goods and and service. There's some exceptions to this, as there always is with a bit of detail. But the 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 really big downside and the really big risk is that if you're not telling the customer about those rights, then that 14 day period goes to a year. So that literally is that no. No, no customer's got to prove anything's wrong with the product or the service uh, if they've not been told about those rights uh, and that and and those um, distance sales or off-premises rights uh, exist then there's a, 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 a up to a one-year right of rejection so just very briefly what we mean by distance sales and off-premises sales so distance sales is as i think approach just alluded to a moment ago anything that's done at a distance whether that's a, a proper sort of online sale uh, or just something that's done over the telephone or by email. Uh, Off-premises is, as again, loads of legal detail, which I haven't got the time to, to really get into now, uh, but essentially 
anything that's not done on the trade premises, where if the contract's agreed somewhere other than the trade premises, then those rights are going to kick in. Now, obviously, um, whilst these legal rights have been around for, for, for quite a while now, um, this is going to be going to become so much more prevalent as, as clearly and quite rightly and understandably uh, businesses move more to uh, distance or off-premises sales models. So distance regulations in place, if you if you don't explain the 14-day the, the rule, you go to a year's rule. What does that, what are the implications though for, for the 1st of June? So click and collect, what, what is the significance of the, the click and collect aspect um, when you have sold a vehicle to a customer? Okay, so click and collect um, could be a distant sale or it could not be. The, the, the point is about where is the contract done? Because that will determine whether it's a, a distance or, or off-premises sale. So. If, for instance, uh, I ring up and I order my car over the telephone um, uh, and, and then I just go and collect it, then that's a distant sale and I've still got all those rights. If, however, it was structured a little bit differently, that rather than actually doing the ordering and, and agreeing the contract over the telephone, I just say, yeah, hey, I'm interested in, in buying a car off you. This is a car I want. Uh, and, the, and the dealer says, that's fine. We'll have that that car prepared for you and ready for you to order, ready for you to buy when you come in to collect it. So, i.e., that the actual the contract for that car is done at the collection point and that's done on the business premises, then no distance selling rights uh, apply. So, so that, that's why um, click and collect. It could both be a distance sale or it could not be. The important point is about where is the contract actually done? If it's done at, at the collection, uh, when they, they clip the car on the business premises, then it's the, those regulations don't apply. And, and, and at the sound of being pedantic, uh, on the premises could be the car park if it's click and collect where the, where the agreement is, uh, is, is signed. Yeah, um, and there's been a, a little bit of case guidance over this. It's 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 really what does the um, you know the the average well-informed customer, I think what the courts referred to, uh, would consider to be business premises. So certainly, um, you know, the actual the forecourt, the the bit outside the showroom, no doubt in my mind that's business premises. If it was a uh, you know, maybe there's a, a, a holding facility, you know, three miles away down the, uh, you know, around the corner. And so uh, with no sort of particular branding of, the, of the, the dealer's premises, a little bit less clear. But I, I suspect that, that most people are going to be bringing them to the main site. And, and certainly that would be business premises. Ian, you said you were going to be provocative. I'm delighted to say that you have been. Thank you for that. Um, I'm sure it's raised questions. Uh, so if, uh, from what we've heard just in this first opening few minutes uh, from what Ian has said, uh, if there is a question uh, that you would like to ask or raise, now is the time to do it. Uh, you can enter the question via a webinar or you can follow us on Twitter and use the hashtag ARNLive. Now, the man who has the responsibility for his business, Peter Vardy, uh, with the name, same name over the door. Um, Peter, in Scotland, I know things are slightly different, uh, but that's a lot to take on board um, from, a, from a retail perspective. Does that change anything uh, in, in terms of what we just heard about how business is done? 
We have sort of eaten a little bit differently, but we're still waiting an announcement this afternoon to uh, know how much of what Ian's just said about opening and what you can do in England at the moment. We are waiting for Nicola to give us a bit of an update on Scotland. But nevertheless, it lets us prepare um, for the eventuality of opening. So I think we're, we're on the track with that. I think Ian's uh, advice is great. I think we know some of that. I think the, the car park click and collect is, is interesting to know where the contract gets signed. I think we're all hoping that uh, maybe you can help with that with the call. If, if you can find a contract in a delivery truck, that would certainly help the, uh, the position for a retailer. If that could be classed as premises, that would be a good one. But I think operationally, from a reputation point of view, which we're all now more conscious of with online ref online reviews of businesses, if, if there was a problem with a car, which is normally why a car is returned, whether the car was sold at distance or sold on the site, a good retail will have to give the customer a good level of service. If the car was wrong within the first 14 days, you often do take it back anyway. So I think there is the, the legal position, and I'm certainly no expert on that. But there is also the practical uh, operation issues of we do actually take the cars back if there's a problem with it. We do have to sort it out. The consumer we know has different rights at distance, but there still is operational responsibility if you want to have a good reputation. So I think uh, that's our point. In terms of getting ready for business, um, we're very fortunate. We invested in a, a sister business, invested in an online uh, software product to sell cars online. So we have uh, sold about a third of the cars we normally sell this time of year, even in the closed period. Of those sales, 35% of them have been completed online by the customer doing it themselves. So that, that is a, a major step forward. And we surveyed the guests our entire database actually last week to say, how are you going to want us to operate when we get back? So great responses. 15% of people on the database said they were completely purchased completely online. So that really changes. And uh, that's up from, if they asked the same survey last year, you're about 3%. So consumers are clearly wanting a, a different level of service. They're also actually saying that only 35% of them said they'd only come in if we reassured them that the place was a safe place to visit. Um, which is interesting as well. So you're not on the shopping list anymore unless you're a safe place to visit. So yes, we're doing distance selling. Yes, we've organized click and collect. We're allowed to. We're not allowed to do that in Scotland yet. And yes, we've looked at the showroom setup for when people do come in. So we've even done some, uh, obviously, the same thing applies for service. So uh, guess them and it can't come in the Scottish showroom uh, even to get the car service. So we have to put swap keys in the car park. So we've got sanitation stations in a van. We're actually kitted out a van for every car park. Uh, so people can, you know, we can demonstrate the safety um, principles we're putting in place uh, with a team in the car park in a van, which is striped up. So we're doing all the things we think we can do. Obviously, we're not waiting specific for the legal information. You're having to make decisions. You know, our purpose at the minute is uh, physical well-being, you know, mental well-being, physical well-being and financial well-being of our colleagues, and then try and do the same thing for guests when they come in. So... You are feeling as if you're charging on with some of these ideas and the legal positions coming afterwards. But you're always just trying to do the right thing, I think. And that's where we're trying to do the right thing and we're ready for whenever the government day that will give us some clarity on, on what we do next. Yeah. Peter, if I may, that, that's really comprehensive. Look, we've, we've got a question, actually, same question from uh, Zach at Pavilion Car Sales. Hi, Zach. Uh, David uh, from David Hart from Kia and Brian at uh, Brown and Day. Um, the question is slightly difficult because obviously you're not operating yeah. at the moment, but they're interested in how you're handling the idea of test drives while maintaining this social distancing um, requirement. And, and you mentioned there that customers want to feel safe mm -hmm. as, from your surveys. 
Well, take it two ways. So what we're doing at the minute, uh, which is obviously purely online because we're not open, we have, we've recorded a bank of uh, See It Now uh, videos um, uh, for as many cars as we could do. So we've got a five-point walk around on every single car. That's what we're doing in terms of selling the cars that we've got. We're asking the guests then to do a similar kind of thing to video their part exchange when they're sending it through. So the virtual test drive is really a walk around of the vehicle at the moment, and then we're asking the guests to do a similar thing so we can value their, their car. When we open... We've always got two plans, depending on sentiment and also policy, where uh, a colleague would go in the car with a guest with a mask on and uh, with gloves. And obviously, we'll talk another time about how we're cleaning cars. And then we have obviously got the option of uh, unaccompanied test drives as well. So we've written both processes out in anticipation for whichever way we're advised to go. Thank you, Peter. You're really, really comprehensive. Um, if you have a question for Peter, Ian, or Carl, um, or Sandra, please do uh, send them in via the, the webinar screen or the hashtag ARN Live. And Carl, I'd like to turn to you thinking about finance um, and, and as a major supplier of finance in the market. Um, one of the questions, uh, Carl, that's come to mind here about the distance sale bought with a secured loan. Um, from your perspective, do, does that uh, fit into the 14-day uh, money-back uh, process? I think the, uh, the point that Ian made on the clarity as to the point to which something becomes distant sold um, and the markers in regard to uh, returns policy are, are pretty clear on that. Um, so I would, I would defer if there's a more expansive answer needed on that one uh, to Ian or Sandra. Um, I think what's important, and I think Peter alluded to it, is the different elements of the sales process are, are made ready for this COVID secure environment and that um, everyone uh, dialing in is uh, is using these examples. There's an awful lot of blogs and forums and videos. Um, there's some fantastic collaborative efforts between dealers sharing what they're doing um, so that uh, the sales process, uh, you know, which is linked to that 33% or 35% I think that Peter said as far as people's focus is on secure premises to visit if need be, but how much of that process can be done remotely which naturally will give the customer that, that level of security, whether that be self-serve, decision in principle, et cetera. So um, uh, I know I've extended the answer to that question. My apologies. Um, it's probably more one for, uh, for the legal experts on the, on the call. What, what are you seeing in terms of the financial market, in terms of that online um, uh, finance activity during this period? Is, is it sustaining within a smaller market or is it increasing or, or falling away? No, it's, um, again, uh, alluded to what Peter talked about. It's hugely increasing. Uh, I mean, we have the benefit of our, of our own uh, fine and fund platform, Car Aggregator, and we've seen engagement with that later on in the sales funnel, whether it be the decision and principle offer that we have within that, uh, the contact dealer, the self-serve application. Um, the level of interest to, to browse and reserve is, is, is uh surprisingly very high. Um, from a new business perspective, uh, we're already approaching 70% of new business levels um, of pre-crisis. Um, mm -hmm. And this theme building of customers wanting to um, respectfully acknowledge how well certain showroom processes have worked um, prior to uh, coronavirus. But if, if you, as a customer, you can offer me more of that process in advance. So the ideas that Peter talked around with the sort of the walk around video on every element of the stock, uh, advising customers how to do that for their party exchange in advance. 
it answers both the um, security sense and sentiment that customers, I think, will be looking for in a post-COVID world uh, from the 1st of June or whenever that, whenever that starts. Uh, but also, I think, really bring um, what we can offer the market. And I mean, we as in you know, dealers and lenders, much more higher up the funnel to make it a much more attractive um, proposition. Um, but we have seen every engagement uh, measure that is digitally linked, whether that be use of our self-serve application tech, um, the upgrades we've done on KYC on payout, um, every one of those indicators is up. Yeah. You're watching Auto Retail Live. Thank you very much for joining us. We're focusing today on distance selling and the new normal online. Uh, Ian, uh, I, your your provocation has has delivered a considerable number of questions, and many people asking the same question here: Does distance selling still apply to finance sales? Uh, so, so, so yes, it does. And, and actually, what the uh, the regulations talk about is any any ancillary contracts would be automatically cancelled as well. So, the, the finance agreement, if there's uh, I don't know, other other things that have been sold alongside gap insurance, um, anything else, everything gets cancelled uh, if the customer has those rights in the first place and then exercises them. See, the provocation continues. Graham Woodward um, from Parks of Hamilton says, regarding the distance sale, is the contract being agreed, the order form being signed, or can an email exchanging pricing information being deemed as the contract being formed? OK, that's a, that's a really good question. Uh, I mean, certainly... Once the order form is signed, then that is the, the point at which it's most likely going to be um, considered that that's the, the binding contract, because it, it's then quite quite clear. Um, the, the law is, is slightly more vague than that, and it really says, look, you know, um, was was there a you know, could did both the parties reasonably believe that there was a contract being formed? So, for instance, uh, if the, if I ring uh, up the, the dealership and I say, yes, I want to buy this Ford Fiesta and the, the dealership sends me the spec about it and I say, yes, I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, I would like to buy that. Thank you very much. Uh, and the, the dealer says, I'm very happy to, to sell you for that and, and that's the price. And, we, and, and from that phone call, it's, it's kind of clear there's a meeting of the minds uh, and there's a commitment. Uh, then that's probably the point that there's a contract. So it's at the point, what what, what would you know, the, the fly on the wall or the person standing next to you, at what point did, did they see that um, there was an agreement reached? Um, and it, that will be fairly obvious in most cases because I, I guess most will follow a process of saying, well, thank you very much for that. To confirm your order, we're going to email you now a contract or through some online portal or something, uh, and, and the terms will be there. Uh, one extra thing to, to add to, to that, another big risk that, that we do see is um, if, if, say, you have got some sort of like online sales portal, um, then it, it's, it's really important to try and but within those terms and conditions, you know, where you click the box to say, yes, I accept these terms and conditions, for those terms and conditions to spell out when the contract is actually happening. Uh, and as a business provider, you want that to be as late as possible. Uh, because if you are operating through an online platform, what if you've accidentally priced the vehicle at £10,000 below what it should have been? Um, there's a risk then that you're contracting at that very price. Uh, whereas if your terms and conditions say, 
the the point of a contract is the moment the vehicle is dispatched from our site, uh, then then you've obviously got a very different uh, point. So uh, another trap to be aware of. Ian, a question from Simon Oswald from Toyota GB. Good morning, uh, Simon. How does the holding deposit fit into this? Does that create the contract? Um, no, I, I think the holding deposit could be, well, it, it could well be a, a, a neat way around this, uh, particularly for, say, like click and collect, that you say, um, in order for us to prepare the vehicle for you and have it ready for you to come in and... and um, uh, 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 buy the vehicle, we're going to ask you for a holding deposit. But what you need to really make clear uh, is that's a separate contract. We've got this holding deposit contract that's purely just some money that's completely refundable. Um, you know, e Frankly, even if you don't turn up, it's, it's almost just like a statement of intent that you are intending to get in your car and come down and, and have a look at this car. Um, and then you enter into a separate contract for buying the vehicle. What we've seen, and there's a there's a big case that involves this exact point, um, is that uh, where a dealer tried to do that, but they'd used their standard order form, and then they'd scribbled something on the front that said, "Oh, this is just a holding deposit." But of course, on because it was their standard order form, it, it included all the other normal terms and conditions that that kind of contradicted this scribbled words about this being a holding deposit. It then said, "You're entering into a binding contract." Uh, and the courts in that case said, no, you've entered into a binding contract. So if you're going to go around this route of having a sort of a holding deposit, make sure you have like a, a bespoke form for that and don't just, you know, scribble something on your normal order form because uh, that's going to land you into, into a difficulty. I think connected to that, Simon Palmer um, from the Handy Motor Group has said, how would you suggest we record we've confirmed to the customer that this is a distance sale? Um, really, just by um, uh, putting the, the, that in, effectively just saying that in your terms and conditions, saying uh, that um, uh, this is a, a contract that's um, been exercised at a distance uh, without face-to-face -face contact, and therefore you are entitled to these um, um, 14 days. Uh, just uh, probably something for, for, for later, but just to um, flag, we've got a... Uh, a webinar on the uh, 9th of June, um, where also anybody that's joining that webinar will get a, a copy of template distance selling terms and conditions, and, and you can book that through our, our, our website. But yeah, it's just really making sure you've, you've ex clearly explained that in those, um, in those terms and conditions. Peter, thinking about this now from, from the retail perspective, and it's a question that Steve Witten um, from SSW Automotive. Uh, good morning, Steve. Thank you for your question. So what does this do in terms of changing the role of the sales exec? Because I can, I can see uh, you know, uh, our learned friends here uh, from the legal department um, having greater influence, but, but what does that mean for the salesperson? The legal position is clearly important. And then I suppose you've got to look at, well, that's that's great. But what's the opportunity that this brings? I think the opportunity now is that we can look at the role of a sales advisor. Um, and every e-commerce business, apart from ours, uh, has pretty, been pretty good at reducing cost of sale. Uh, we have done the opposite. So we've brought the internet in. So we spent money on a website. We then spent money on Autotrader. We spent money on SEO, pay-per-click. Then we decided to have a BDC. Then we had a digital sales advisor. And everything that we've done in digital, as opposed to most e-commerce people, has been an increased cost of sale. I think what we're going to try and look at is every time the customer does more of the sales process themselves, it saves us money. Uh, 
And if the customer is now wanting to do that based on the current environment, we've got a win-win. Now, it means we can redeploy sales advisors. I mean, it's a bit like um, in after sales. If, if, a, if um, online booking takes off, you don't necessarily you know, lose your uh, contact center people. You just redeploy them. Imagine if we could use them to follow up Amber work. And a business like ours, like any sensible-sized business, will have millions of pounds worth of Amber work never followed up. So it's redeploying the resource you've got to increase your revenue rather than that resource being a cost. So it's the same in sales. Could the sales structure look different to provide the customer what they want? Well, clearly, if consumers are willing to do things online, we need to do it. You know, that's that's the first thing we should try and get the customer to do is buy online. It's the cheapest thing we can get them to do. Uh, we've seen, just to back up what uh, Carl said before, finance penetration on online sales is over 80% consistently. If you're doing, we've had some months using our online software platform where it's over 90%. We can't teach sales advisors to get that number. It doesn't matter how good your training academy was. I was fortunate to work for my dad previously. We had a great training academy, and then we've done try to replicate the same thing here. Very difficult. Uh, when customers, why do they choose to do it online themselves? Higher? I don't know, but they do consistently. That's what the data shows. They will also buy more add-on products themselves, and actually they don't ask for a discount. You think, well, wow, that's that big, bigger margin because of finance add-ons and no discount on the car. Again, and then we're not paying any human resource to make that happen. The six stages in the sales process, the consumer is now showing uh, that they're willing to do it themselves. That's, in, that's incredible. So that's what, I mean, our sister company, Silver Bullet, is pushing that agenda. That's their sales pitch, I would say, but it's actually true because it's, it's based on the data. So we've got an opportunity with the way this has changed to move our consumers online, reduce our cost of sales per deal, and maybe redeploy our people in a different way but that's what the customer wants to do. They're, they're now doing it. Their data and the research we've done of our own database shows a significant increase of people willing to do more of the journey online. And it's an amazing opportunity. So I know there's some distant sale problems. I'm not belittling them at all. But in contrast to the opportunity, I think the opportunity, how we sell cars in the current format, will it reduce cost of sale? Will it increase margin? Will it help us sell more cars? Yes, we're now open 24-7. If you don't open on a Sunday like us, we're now open on a Sunday because you can buy the car yourself on Sunday. So it's it's whether you're in store or online, how can we show that software as many times as possible? So can we show it online if you're on the website? Can we integrate with third-party websites and so show the same opportunity? And then can you have a screen in your car park in your dealership where the customer on a Sunday can buy the car themselves? We're entering entering to new world where people are making an awful lot of money, more money than we are by buying and selling things digitally. And now we are we are there and, you know, I can only speak from our personal experience, and everyone's different. But to go from to 35% of our cars sold in this period, there's been 1,200 of them. So it's a decent number of cars where consumers done it all on their own, I think speaks volumes. We didn't have that before this horrendous situation, but that's what's happened. And I think we need to see the opportunities and then run after them. And, and how does that split? It's a question that evolves from, from your comment there, but Rob Hancock at Mazda UK, um, what's the split there between existing and Conquest customers of those of those online uh, buyers? The split, sorry, can you ask the question again? Sorry. Sorry, the split between Conquest um, and um, existing customers. So are those customers who are buying mm -hmm. through you online and you, you knew them already and they were buying traditionally or are they new people that are, that are coming to you online? Well, I haven't got the exact number for that, but I do know we're selling a lot more cars south of the border. So I presume that the majority of them are conquest businesses because in Scotland, it's a bit of a different sentiment up here at the minute, as well as policy. Um, a lot of the cars are sold online have been going to England. So I can presume they're conquest. Okay. 
Carl, um, from a financial perspective, as Peter said, there is a change and an opportunity that comes with it. What's the role of the finance department in this in this brave new world? How things how will things change? I think um, I think first of all, uh, lenders, uh, partners, just need to be front and centre uh, and shoulder to shoulder with the industry. Um, we do not, under any circumstances, uh, you know, not pay the right credit uh, to some of the, the tragic circumstances around uh, COVID-19. Um, but I think um, this industry has led more than once in the past, um, you know, uh, initiatives to get Britain moving again out of crisis. Uh, motor and motor finance were on the front foot following the banking crisis, even though it's clear this is quite a different one. Um, so I think um, to answer your question, Al, I think one of them is is, is a cultural uh, point as far as making sure that we're focused on the opportunity, harnessing that natural entrepreneurial spirit that exists in this market uh, and to be proactive. I think we should deal with um, questions of law and compliance seriously and quickly. They're, they're often simplest, simpler than they, they often appear. Um, and also I think lead the debate uh, to see very clearly the difference between the different questions. A, a distance selling queries arise from a social distancing, lockdown, um, measures to control the spread of the virus. They are also in some ways quite separate. Uh, and the discussions that we've seen online in forums, um, the guidance that we've issued and many others have issued, uh, you know, it is a useful point at which to answer these questions quickly and then aim to get on the front foot. Uh, consumer safety is a high priority. And we've talked a lot about how consumer interest seems to be returning very quickly. Um, and that's not to deny there will be many other uh, recession-related challenges for our industry in the coming sort of days, weeks and months. Um, but there are indicators that, um, that can be deemed as positive there's a lot of um, innovation within the market to solve some of these new questions. Um, uh, so as far as what the lenders should do is, is aim to be um, a, a very, very much at the center uh, of this discussion and make sure they're offering the products and services that, that help answer those questions. You're watching Auto Retail Live uh, from the Auto Retail Network, focusing on distance selling and business returning to normal, whatever the new normal is. Um, one of the issues that uh, we've been following in this series of webinars is understanding the implications, uh, the legislation and the changes that have come through. Sandra Martins uh, from Radius Law. Uh, Sandra, could you just give us a little bit of an update? We were together a week ago. Uh, since then, we've had a number of um, new sources of information. If you could perhaps just give us a, a quick roundup of, of what's changed and the things we need to know. Thanks, Al. Um, the two main things to be aware of, uh, two pieces of guidance will be very useful to you. Uh, one is the guidance issued by the NFDA and the SMMT on uh, risk assessments and basically being COVID compliant when you reopen uh, the uh, business. Um, and it basically refer it's it's a more detailed, more specific to the industry guide, guidelines, basically. And it, it uh, makes some good suggestions as to what sort of initiatives you might be uh, wanting to introduce in your showrooms and generally across your work uh, place to ensure uh, that there's a minimal risk of contamination between uh, staff and, uh, and customers. Um, it makes a, uh, one of the potential things that you may consider uh, in the guidance is um, 
introducing temperature checks on employees before they start work um, when they come in in the morning. Um, uh, one thing to note on that is that if you were to go down that route, you'd have to follow uh, any guidance issued by uh, the Information Commission officer uh, and comply with data protection principles and, and duties there. And not coincidentally, um, the ICO has also issued guidance on what you need to do if you are planning on introducing uh, any health checks in the workforces re relating to uh, the COVID pandemic. Um, another thing you may want to uh, check is the government guidance on holiday entitlement uh, and pay during the pandemic. It confirms that taking holiday or requesting people to take holiday won't um, interrupt the period of furlough, which is uh, useful for uh, employers. Um, and then uh, another piece of guidance, which is very important to uh, uh, be uh, aware of, uh, well, not so much guidance, but basically there's a template risk assessment, which has uh, been uh, produced by the AJSC uh, in Northern Ireland um, that basically is COVID compliant. So it's specific to the risks presented by COVID and things that you need to be looking at when you're doing your own risk assessment, which will be essential before you open up your business again. Sandra, a question you, you mentioned there, the issue of holiday pay and furlough. We, we've had a question asking if you have to go down the restructuring and the redundancy route uh, as a result, does the period of furlough and the payment act in lieu of the notice payment that may be due, essentially then leaving the business to fund um, holiday and, and statutory payments? Uh, no. Well, you can. there's several things in there. Basically, um, you can give notice, so you can uh, carry out a restructure and redundancy while people are on furlough. That's fine. That can happen. Um, but then you have to give notice at the appropriate time, and that's after the consultation is finished or towards the end of consultation. Uh, so they would still be entitled to their notice rights. Um, now, there's a debate as to whether during the notice uh, period you are entitled to your full pay, uh, uh, so the pre-furlough pay, or whether you're just entitled to the, the pay that you're being paid during furlough. It, I don't quite have enough time to go into the intricacies of that. So it could be either. Uh, it depends on what you've agreed with people and the way they're paid and hours they work etc um so yeah. basically the longer the short is you consult and then you give notice and they're entitled to notice uh, the normal notice length of notice they'd be entitled to there's a query as to what you need to pay and seek advice on that before you take any action and then on top of that they'd be entitled to the redundancy payment if they have two years service or longer and the holiday pay accrued uh, that they haven't taken and all those things if we take the situation not as drastic as, as restructuring or, or redundancy, but if you need to move people around within the team, um, sort of redeploying them, how much can you move people around from different roles within the within the law? Well, um, some people will have actually a right to be moved around uh, over others. So it depends on their own personal circumstances. Um, there are those th who are uh, vulnerable um who so let, let's let, let's do a separation there's the critically vulnerable people that shouldn't be allowed to return to work at the moment they should just work from home 
Um, so we leave those alone for the moment. Then there's the vulnerable people, which are category slightly lower, which uh, are, covers people over the age of 70, pregnant women, uh, and people that have some conditions that are likely uh, to amount to disabilities. So they're protected. They have additional protections under the legislation. And say, take a, uh, a disabled person, there's a duty to make reasonable adjustments uh, um, as well as the duties towards uh, and the health and safety legislation. So uh, for those people, they'll be specifically entitled to uh, be offered a different role that's suitable and in no, you know, no less favorable terms, preferably. And they have a they have first dibs at that over anyone else. Uh, and, and then you also need to consider any pregnant uh, employees that you've got because uh, they have additional rights as well to either be moved to a, a different role if you can't eliminate the risk in their usual role. And then if that is not possible, there's still a risk to her or the baby, uh, then you need to put them on suspension or full pay. So there's many rights that you need to consider. So basically the thing to do is consider each case by case, not just have a blanket approach. Pleasure to think about. Um, Ian, I'd like to turn to you with a couple of questions uh, regarding um, distance selling. Um, uh, from Ian, uh, at uh, and sorry, Keir Dunlop at Henry's uh, Skoda, Glasgow. Thank you for your uh, question, Keir. Is it fair to assume that if the 14-day right of rejection is not explained, so then you sort of default to the 12-month uh, rule, is the dealer entitled to charge for any use or mileage, i.e. if you're sort of eight months down the line and the car's got 8,000 miles on it, um, is, is that taken into consideration or not? Uh, it, it is, uh, and uh, certainly you can make a deduction for use that's beyond um, reasonable use. Uh, and it's probably not a bad idea within those terms and conditions to say, um, what is reasonable use? Now, look, it's just worth just stepping back from that. What the, the whole purpose of these regulations is that is to try and put people in the position of the rights that they would have had had they been to the business premises. So, a, principally a test drive. So, I think it's it's not unreasonable to say, look, a reasonable period, a reasonable amount of miles would be, I don't know, 30 miles or something. I mean, that's a, obviously a very long test drive. Um, Beyond that, then you can start to charge for, for some usage. Now, what's completely unclear and untested is to how you would calculate that sort of that, what's that beyond that reasonable usage. Uh, would that be to analyze and what would be the cost of, I don't know, leasing a car or perhaps the, the, dim, the, the extra reduction in value because it's done some extra miles? So you're going to be into a big gray area as to what that deduction should be. Uh, it's certainly not going to be the same amount that you've lost by taking back a, a car that's now registered and, and uh, yeah, been, been, been run around. And, and certainly the, the right to reject still remains. It's just about whether you can deduct some money off what you ultimately give them back as the return price. Great answer. Thank you, Ian. I wish you were in my house to solve some of the uh, internal arguments at home. It would make my life a whole load simpler with such clarity. <laughs> now, our time is nearly done, and I'd like to uh, just trot around our guests uh, as we uh, come to a conclusion of this auto retail live webinar um, and just invite Peter, first of all. Um, it's challenging. It's a different time. It brings forward the best in people. What's your mm -hmm. advice at the moment for uh, those of us working in automotive retail? Um, 
just some past experience of obviously visiting the dealerships a couple of weeks ago for the first time after being out of the business. Um, just be prepared for feeling very different for going back. I mean, it really brought home to me that uh, sense of kind of dismay when I came back in again, that things weren't the same as they were before. It's a it's a bit of a mental health challenge. Uh, we know there's a physical challenge, obviously, with you know keeping people healthy at this moment in time. And then you're trying to look after people's financial well-being. So in my role, I think those three things looking after the colleagues is my priority over the next 18 months. I've got to try and make sure that I'm looking after the colleague first, then I'll have a good business. So I think it's, it's putting the colleague first. And then there's a second thing, I'll get into e-commerce because if you ever need the kick up the bum to get to realize what's happening in the world that's right now in terms of how people's buying behavior, if you don't have an e-commerce platform, you need one, whichever one you think is of value. Um, but those two things, look after the colleagues on those three things and then make sure you're into e-commerce. Sandra, from a, from an employment rights uh, legal perspective, what's your tip? Well, uh, Peter makes a very good point. That's very important. Looking after your own and your colleagues' mental health is very important. And ACAS has uh, coincidentally just issued some guidance on that for employers, which should be uh, useful for you to check. But um, this is, uh, this is uh, an opportunity to apply hindsight. As we say, everybody says that hindsight's a wonderful thing. So now you've tested your systems you know what you've got in place what needs improving um and it's a great time i know there's a lot on your plate but it's a good time to prepare for the future and check your contracts of employment check your policies and procedures that are affected by these issues things like holiday uh, policies sick pay uh, disciplinary and procedure uh, and grievance procedures how you conduct them because um, there is a, a chance i don't want to be doom and gloom but there's a chance that we may have another lockdown further down the line if there's a spike in cases so be prepared put your house in order this is the time to do it carl from a financial perspective how do you see the best what's the best way forward I think some great, uh, great ones there we've heard. Um, one would be, um, you know, at danger of slight repetition. Um, one would be about around the mindset, as in, you know, control the mindset, the approach. This is an opportunity in some ways to restart and reboot your business. You know, we're all startups again in some, in some way. Um, so what legacies have you built up over a period of time that uh, are ripe to be deleted? Um, what initiatives are right to progress? Um, echoing, I think, what Peter said, you know, step back from your business and look at the processes, especially the sales processes, um, and what of those can be uh, brought online or done in advance with customers at a distance. It doesn't necessarily have to be purely online. You know, uh, where are you with your telephone technology, et cetera? Uh, can, a, can a customer reserve, see a presentation of, apply for uh, finance and, uh, and the vehicle, more importantly? Um, and the, the last one is um, being, uh, you know, starting my career in motor dealerships. Uh, it's always struck me how, and rightly so, we're, we're proud. Each business, I think, every dealership is proud of the culture and the feel uh, that we give our customers in a dealership. Um, and maybe rightly concerned how different it feels um, currently with uh, the showrooms closed. But that's not to say that your culture and your personality can't shine through and can, uh, me as a customer can, can get a feel for that remotely. How many of our dealers have a short video from, from the owner or the sales manager or the parts manager that just introduces us to what it's like to buy a car at that, at that place? Um, and I think as Sandra said, there's, a, there's an awful lot of guidance everywhere. There's, there's no excuses really um, as to uh, sourcing the information uh, and uh, making some uh, some small changes to start with could, could lead to, to bigger ones. Um, so that would be my top tip. 
Thank you, Carl. Uh, Ian, you started provocatively. Are you going to end provocatively or are you going to soothe us? <laughs> no, no, I, I was going to try and be uh, show a positive side, which is not something lawyers are famed for. Um, but um, I, I just really wanted to uh, emphasise, because I think there is a risk uh, with lawyers coming onto calls like this, that we, we all we seem like the naysayers, uh, which is which couldn't be further from the truth. I, I completely agree with Peter's point that, you know, e-commerce, it, it's a way forward. Let's face it, automotive has been very slow to, to this um, journey. Uh, and so, I, personally, I feel there's a huge e-commerce opportunity out there. And, and this situation is just prompting us to do this. Uh, our position really is just one of... Um, let, let's not give ourselves another painful thing in the process. And, and we can just... We can minimise a lot of these risks by, just by some tweaks to the process, tweaks to the terms and conditions. There are other things that we've not had time to mention. You know, this, this potentially exposes slightly more risk from data protection perspective. Uh, there's potentially a, a higher risk for anti-money laundering uh, or money laundering issues um, and all those things that you know, we can just minimise those risks on and, 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 and help you guys to get on doing what you do best, uh, selling vehicles without a sort of painful kick in the backside that you don't need uh, by someone uh, rejecting a vehicle in a year's time for no apparent reason. Today we said we were going to talk about preparing for the new normal, distance selling and more. We certainly covered more. Thank you very much to our guests, uh, to Peter Vardy from Peter Vardy, uh, from Carl Werner from Motonovo Finance and to Sandra and Ian from Radius Law. This has been Auto Retail Live from the Auto Retail Network. Thank you for taking the time uh, to spend part of your day with us today. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, you are more than welcome to share this uh, with others as the broadcast has been recorded. Thank you very much for joining us on Auto Retail Live today.